3: Is that where you're going to be holding the mic the whole time? I, I
0: can, I, I don't know. Cool. I don't often hold mics, so... Oh, okay. Uh, you, you never perform at all? Or? Um, Not in that way.
3: That sounds very <laughs> ominous. No, you, no, no. no you you the, mean sexually you perform, but not? I sexually perform marvelously, okay.
0: uh, but normally, no. I, I, <laughs> I'm i not often a man behind a mic. At some speeches. Oh, okay, fine. When I, I do speeches, you I do that, but right. typically if I'm having to do something, I'm normally... Mic-less, so.
3: Oh, Okay, fine. It's sorry, It was. It was just the way you said. I'm not usually holding a microphone. That I was like, wait, wait. Do <laughs> so you just have one at home in case? Yeah, just, just just whip it out. You know, sometimes <laughs> and you're just like, oh, a microphone. Moment. We are now still talking about non-sexual. Provort. We're talking about microphones. Microphones, right? Categorically. <laughs> Gotta make sure of that. Um, so the way I normally <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: off to a great start. <laughs> I'm making sure we keep
3: away from war his penis bones. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry Podcast, Episode 71. For those of you new to the show, my name's Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, radio, TV, and today, the Edinburgh Fringe. J.D. Henshaw, also known as J.D., also known as Jay Dizzle, is the founder and operator of Sweets Venue at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which also operates the Brighton Fringe Festival and the Horror Festival and a number of others that we get into during the interview. As part of my never-ending, I say never-ending, it'll end when I get them all, but as part of my never-ending quest to interview the Fringe Venue managers at the Edinburgh Festival, I got him on to talk about Sweets Venue and what they offer different to other venues, how it's been for him opening up his roster to more comedians, when historically they've been more about theatre productions, as well as how he sees suites fitting into the ecosystem of the Edinburgh Fringe and much, much more. I think this would be useful for anyone who is looking to go to the Edinburgh Fringe and wants to find an alternative place to the Free Fringe that doesn't have the budget for the Big Four, as well as anyone who is just generally interested in how the Fringe operates and maybe hasn't heard so much from the suites venue, considering they kind of keep themselves to themselves, and also, given most of my audience is the comedy industry, maybe haven't heard that much from sweets as always if you're new here please hit that subscribe button if you're old here please consider giving us an honest review on itunes but without any more delays this is jd henshaw so the first question was going to be because because you're and i don't mean this in a bad way you're one of the newer venues at the fringe yep would that be fair to say
0: um sort of i guess seven years now Mm -hmm. so yeah newer newish new-esque Okay. New esque. New
3: esque. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering why you started one.
0: Ah, why did I start a venue? That is a great question. Um, Thank you. I I started a venue because I was a performer, a writer, and director. I, I still do two out of those three things on a regular basis. I tend to leave performance to other people who are better at it than I am. And basically, got to a point where I wanted to have just that idea of a venue that reflected what I thought. I would want how I would want to be treated. I'd had a few different experiences with different venues, some good, some okay, nothing horrendous, but just that sort of thought of the massive moment of ego where I think I could probably do something a little bit better. I guess. Oh dear, ego. Mm.
3: Yeah, I know. Uh, I I like people who aren't comfortable with their ego. Um, mm. (laughs) No, uh, I. I would hope that would happen to other people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's more. I'm I'm not comfortable letting people know why where I'm comfortable with my ego. I'm, You know what I mean? That's fair Yeah, yeah. I'm fine yeah. with it But I
0: just don't want people Asking me about it <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's interesting So you, so does, that, but does that mean You had to stop performing?
0: No No I still occasionally Do a bit of voice acting In some shows And I have done a little bit Of performance Outside of Fringe And other places During the year It really just comes down To the fact that I prefer writing and directing. I'm just much more comfortable putting words in other people's mouths and seeing them do much better with it than I thought I'd written, which is always really exciting when you go, oh, that's what that was supposed to look like, which is great. I don't miss being a performer at all. When the mood takes me and I want to be involved in something, cool, that's great. But it rarely does because I'm yeah, I'm just much happier behind the scenes. I enjoy it. Just remembered. <laughs> um,
3: huh? uh, or Either that or I'm a cliché.
0: No, I don't think that's a cliché. I think that's... That's just living a proper life. Um, I don't think. I wouldn't say proper because
3: I think that implies that people who haven't loved and haven't, lost uh, and you
0: know uh, what I mean have an improper life. No, that's true. That's not what I mean by I think that. It's I, a, a media-driven f- perception of uh, a fuller life, then
3: perhaps. But um, then you have got asexual people who don't whatever. You know what I mean? So oh
0: yes, but I don't. I get, do you know? I don't necessarily think that the loved and lost thing is one of the key components of that. Yeah, no, that, I suppose. It's but you have to have lived through things mm. I think that's it, you've had to have been on some sort of journey so when you know someone who's asexual is yes, not loved and lost in that st- mm. in what would be considered a media driven conventional sense yeah, totally, but yeah. they will have been through emotional things about life about, about what love means to them, I mean that, I think getting to the grips on any level with realising that's how you are, mm. must be part of that exact same process yeah, learn, some, yeah, learning. Yeah, learning your you. emotions.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ultimately, learning your body is really easy because it's just there all the time. But the internalness of you, you can't control them either. Nope. But but it's the case of uh, learning how to work with them yeah. rather than
0: learning how to work against them or Absolutely. try and change them. And just those moments when you go, oh, this is that thing, and maybe you don't have the answer to it yet, but you're aware of it. Yeah. It's, I think that's it, it's probably about self-awareness. I think it's yeah. enough years under your belt that you've become self-aware, mm. that you can see your flaws and accept them and realize when actually they don't work very well with trying to interact with other people and that sort of thing. And also see things you're good at to a degree. I think that's, mm. that's why you need those years under your belt.
3: No, so, I agree. I, I would call myself quite a self-aware person and to the point of I'm, aware, I'm very much aware of my flaws. And I always say, you know, at least I know what they are. N- but then i realise realized that's not good enough. That's, the, no. that's an excuse. No. That's me going, oh, I'm very self-involved, and at least I know it. It's like, no, don't just, don't
0: <laughs> just be, be a it, better then. person. Be better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that's it. I think by the time you get to th- your early 20s mm. is when you start having the opportunity to be the best you you can be. Because yes. you've probably gotten to a point where you start realizing where you need to improve. Mm. Whether that is, you just need to be a little bit warmer when you say hello to someone in the morning, mm. because you you buckle down and and that's actually leaving you behind. Or stop saying yes all the time because you need to remember you've got to be safe in the world and all that. So it's it's yeah. finding those moments, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it's that thing that someone can be an incredibly positive person. Actually, that's not what they needed either. Mm. Sometimes they need to go. Actually, oh well, yeah, I've just given me over to everybody else. Yeah. For the like, la- oh. So what does it mean when I'm just being me for myself? And so it's it's complicated. Yeah. It, life is complicated. <laughs> it is. It's, it's great, but it's complicated. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> it can be both of those things. Yeah. I, no,
3: I was thinking uh, when you were talking, I was thinking, I have a, I have a bit of a bugbear—not a bugbear, but I have a bit of an issue going to see a, a comedians under a certain age do a show about life. Yeah, because. If, if they're doing like a one liner thing or they're doing like a slapstick show or a sketch thing, I get it. I can go and see it. I'll enjoy it because I sort of feel you don't, you, do, you don't not need life experience for that, but you don't need it in the same way. No. And I remember seeing a comedian, I think, he, yeah, he was 25 because in the show he did a song, he did a show about love, a thing, and in it he did a song about how love's the best thing in the world. And he just went, and I would know because I've just turned 25. And I was like, I really appreciate that you at least know. Yeah. The irony of what you're talking about, be- absolutely. Because I, at 25, probably wouldn't have known that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, and that's my mid 20s, but that's just because I was slow to bother talking
0: to women because
3: <laughs> I was I was very unattractive. Well, in my own head, I was very unattractive. I'm t- I probably still am, but I-
0: <laughs> that's actually let's face it, that's the worst place to be unattractive. Yes,
3: because yeah. it actually reflects a yeah. lot.
0: because you start pushing that back out.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And so. you you avoid situations that actually might have been really lovely mm. because you've decided the outcome before it. It's even happened. Yeah, I did that quite a lot. Yeah, it's, you become self-fulfilling prophecies. It's, it's, it's yeah. a tricky thing. I, I, I remember those moments.
3: But I, th- but I think that's the a problem uh, industry-wise for comedy, in that the younger you are and the less self-aware you are, the more you've sort of got that arrogance of youth to go, yep. I could do an hour, I can do comedy. And because the industry's constantly looking for the new thing. Yes. That coupled together often means you get someone who has a funny 10 or 15, but it's not groundbreaking, and it's not something that in 30 years' time you're going to... That was very Yorkshire, wasn't it? In 30 (laughs) years' time you're going to be going, uh, oh, I remember that comedian who talked about love or Tinder or whatever it was. And I don't know how it will change. I don't know if it ever will.
0: I don't know. I think, you know, it's it's like a sort of emotional version of Bob Hope's walk, isn't it? Bob Hope decided at an early part, point in his career he'd do that low, long, steady walk so that nobody would see him get old. Yeah, He'd always look the same every time he went on stage. Yeah, And it's finding that place that you can be in your actual act mm. where you've got to be prepared to be a grey-haired comedian. Mm. And I think that's very difficult when you are 19 and just breaking out and everybody's Mm. loving it and it's this and and it's and it's in your face comedy it's so new and fresh Mm. and edgy and whatever other word they're going to use in the next cycle yeah every time i hear those words you start start, you start sitting there and you think in the 90s things were mega Yeah, yeah yeah ultra People Uber. now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, Uber. Uber's Uber. around Uber. a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just for driving you home. No. No, no, no. no. Well, not even there. we well, yeah. no, no. trust <laughs> Yeah, <them. laughs> is that even for driving you home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. um No, don't, I, I don't think. thats a London person? <laughs> <laughs> Up here, we just don't know what it is. Okay, <laughs> It's there. Yeah. So it's, not, it's not as big a deal.
3: I should point out, I, I'm not trying to come off ages, as it were.
0: No, it's because just, it, it, everybody's got to cut their teeth and everybody's got to get yes. on it. And you've got, it's like though when you see, it, it's Christmas mm. and we're in Tesco's and they've got their, you know, because they're a wonderful bookshop <laughs> and they've, they've got those books out. And you're going, oh, look at that person who has, who is 20 and released their autobiography. Mm. And that's a really odd
3: moment. Because Harry Styles did that recently. Yeah. he just turned twenty, and he's got an a lot of biography, and he and he's only been in the limelight about two and a half, three years or something.
0: I just find it bizarre.
3: Yeah, I'm like I've seen your story. It was X Factor, and that they cut it down to three minutes. We're good. It could be a vine now. Why? Are yeah. you...
0: it's a very odd moment, and I'm not saying they've got nothing to say. And I am. Well,
3: <laughs> Harry in particular. I'm sorry. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Sue me, they, Harry. They've probably got nothing to say <laughs> that we
0: haven't already heard. Yes, because we've watched it, yeah. Especially now, isn't it? And mm. especially a reality show mm. star that that is an incredibly focused moment, isn't it? Where mm. you have been fed their story, which mm. I'm now about to get fed again. Yeah. Um. But I'm sure, as the, the back blurb's going to tell me, that there's these unbelievable and unforgettable moments that we must find out about from when he played tennis for the first time or something. I, d- I don't yeah. know. But it's I find them odd.
3: Well, I, f- I find it odd when comedians go on shows like that. So I, I, I'm, I'm friendly with Sam Wills, who's tape face, who's been doing America's uh, Got so, Talent. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's been nailing the shit out of that, and I think part of that is because what he does can translate to a room that size. Whereas I think comedy to that size loses something.
0: There's an intimacy that just goes yeah away. Yeah, There's, you're not having a chat anymore.
3: Yeah. And I, I've chatted to, you know, Gattis Candice, yep. who did the one over here, and, and he was talking to me about his experience in that, and he didn't say that it lost the, the you know, like doesn't leave that or whatever, but I, I can't imagine it not impacting, because you don't get a rehearsal, you, 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 get, you get like the little room rehearsal with the little judges, yeah. but then you just go straight out into that just room, it. and there's no prep for that. You've know, like you've got to build yourself up room-wise. Mm-hmm. At least, I, I mean, I don't know, you produce more than I do. I
0: mean, I work most heavily in theatre, mm. and I've got pieces that I absolutely categorically know. If Even sitting in my own venue, and I look around, and I go, if I put that into the next biggest room, it'll disappear, it'll just get swallowed up by it. Because it's intimate, and it's supposed to be... Right in, in someone's lap, sort of mm. thing, and yeah, you see you see work all the time. I think that, and unfortunately, I have seen work that has done that. Amazing, we're making it big, so they upgrade, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Yeah, but actually, in that moment, it clearly doesn't mean an upgrade at all because the work suddenly loses its impact completely. Its its power falls right out of the bottom of it, and it's still the same gig or it's still the same show, but somehow it can't. It never gets its traction back. The momentum's gone. They, they never get the room quite on side. And it's a weird moment, especially when you're watching a work developing and, and yes, moving up. Because it, in theory, that should be a great thing. Like, great, you know, the show has been selling out and now it can support a larger scaled room. Uh, but has that work actually been developed fully to take on the room? Mm. And oh, there's nothing worse than just seeing someone chuck their art down the back of a massive space and realise that nobody's caring in the same way. Yeah, It's not that they're not enjoying it, mm. but it's not the same show anymore. Which is weird, because it is the same show. <laughs> it's, a, well, it's this absolute paradox. I would, just, I would say it's not the same show. Oh, really?
3: Okay. Because, uh, I mean, uh, it, I'm comparing it to comedy rather mm. than theatre. No, no. But specifically when I, I just did a tour, and specifically I picked venues that were less than 50-seaters, partly because the room I did in Edinburgh last year was, like, sort of a maximum of about 50 or 60 okay. seats, but also because, and also because my ego wasn't big enough to go bigger than that, but also because I thought if it was any bigger than that, the feel of the show that I think exists when I do it is going to be lost. I So, for example, there was one venue that I got moved to that had about 200 seats in, and when I arrived, I was like, I'm gutted that this has got moved because it's not going to be the same, and it wasn't, and it was re- and it only sold about 60 seats either, which is great, no, no, but I mean, yeah. in the 200, it feels... Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Absolutely, I'm not complaining at all. I'm very no, happy. No, no, with that no, I'm not. Uh,
0: j- sorry, my eye roll wasn't at only selling oh, okay. six yeah, seats. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's. I'm sure someone you, listening has though.
0: <laughs> it's the you sold through the number of seats you wanted to sell exactly, and that was the and that's way. what's gutting when yes. you're standing in a room that isn't the room you wanted. Mm. You've done the thing exactly the way you actually would have wanted it because mm. your ticket numbers match the head space, mm. just not the room space.
3: Yes, I, I like. I like that amount of people as well because afterwards there's enough time to talk to everyone. Yeah, and absolutely. for me, at the stage of where, where I'm at, I want to be able to, if they want to, obviously I'm not going to go up to them and go, hi there, you know, uh, there's, yeah. there's, always ten, there's always 10% of audiences that hate me. So as a result, I'm I'm not going to talk to everyone, no, but I want there to okay. be the facility to do that if, yeah, if it's possible. Absolutely. And, and I suppose when you're, I mean, when you're programming here, this is. So we're in the Suites venue at the moment mm-hmm. on Grassmarket. When you're programming here, I mean, have you seen the show to decide what room it goes in, or do you take the recommendation from the performer? Because it sounds like uh, Mick Perrin said something interesting. He said, "Is your ego bigger than the space?" And and you know, you got to try and pick it out that way. Yeah. So I presume you, as a programmer, have to
0: see the show before you even program it, or I try and see what I can. It's not always easy, especially with international work. That's of course. just, please do come. And, and you do, you sometimes get that invite. Please come and see our show at, like, I would love to see you in Colorado. That sounds amazing. Buy me a flight but I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. um, but, so you try and see stuff. You hope that someone can send you, uh, I mean, God, sometimes they send you the full show, which is amazing. Sometimes they send you a sizzle reel. And that's amazing because at least you get, a mood of it, a script, a soundtrack if it's got music involved. And the honest answer to it ultimately is there isn't one absolute correct answer to how we pick shows in that sense, how we programme. It's about, personally for me, a lot of it is about how people talk to me. I'm a big people person. If If I like the way the person is putting forward their work, the way they speak to me, that they're friendly, they're warm... They are looking to achieve something. I guess we're coming back to that self-awareness thing, aren't mm-hmm. we? They know their work and they know what they're trying to do. And that doesn't mean I have 10 years of professional this, that and the other under my belt at all. It can be that brand new company that has just we've just finished college, we've formed this, this is our first show it's developed from, which I realise for a lot of people, they go, oh well it's it's still ultimately just just whatever, again, that means lots of inverted commas floating around here. It's just amateur, it's just student and you're like well, I don't think those terms apply to anybody's work because everybody's got to start somewhere yeah. and that's really important. And um, to put yourself
3: down that early seems like you haven't got ambition for it to change it ex- from that exactly, you know I mean?
0: you've got how does the work grow to become whatever actually professional work is, I know, I know we could boil that down to well they got paid or yeah okay, I would disagree on that but, one, but that yeah, doesn't yeah. necessarily make it professional, yeah. I've seen a lot of people get paid for stuff that frankly, needed a lot more time and development. But if they've got passion and they know what they're trying to achieve. So you know that, it's my first fringe. We would like to have that month to make our work stronger to try and get some reviews in. And they're actually not necessarily saying, oh, we want to get that five-star review so that we can do this, that and the other. They're wanting some constructive criticism that they're never going to get at home mm. because they've already performed to all their friends and their friends' friends and they've probably already built, therefore, a bit of a bubble audience that is going to like them and not probably going to say anything too critical, too nasty. And sometimes you need someone to sort of kick you in the backside and say, well, that did not work at all. But here's why.
3: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. The I, I keep saying this to a lot of people recently because, for me in life in everything, the most important thing is why. Yeah. Which is why I don't like that they goes who, what, when, where, why. Do you know what I mean? Why's got to
0: be actually right up there in
3: the first moment. It's it's the motivating factor that gets you out of bed in the morning. It's, you know, if you do, it's it's why they always look for a motive in killings and things like yeah. that. You know what I mean? It's sorry, in a morbid way. A morbid, but, no, but, no, you're right. You're but it, right. But, but it's like you know, until you know that, you don't, you can't work out what's
0: happened, that the event itself. Yeah, isn't that funny that the first thing you ask in in a, in a morbid sense? Sorry, we're, we're, yeah, you, you brought funny. us here, <laughs> but you know uh, the first thing you podcast. ask in <laughs> in a murder case is why would this happen? Yeah, but when we're talking about stuff that's supposed to do with people's livings, mm. they look for what's and who's before they're looking for the why. Mm. We, we should apply the why all the time, and the first question I typically ask anybody. You know, they send the stuff to me and we've got all the gear and then you're like, oh, great, thanks. Why do you want to come to Edinburgh Fringe? Mm. That's my first question. Because those answers are wildly different. There is absolutely nothing wrong with someone saying it's a bucket list moment. You know, They've always wanted to put a piece of their work on here. Okay, it's not my place to say no to that if mm. they're passionate about what they want to do. As long as they understand why they're coming, yes. I'm a happy man. The venue's happy because you end up with a bunch of people together who are all motivated They may have different motivations from one another, other than obviously their motivation is to be at Ed Fringe, which is great and that's brilliant. But they're all working towards a common goal of learning more about their work, learning more about themselves, learning about whether that work has a future. Uh, The amount of shows I've seen come through Edinburgh that that's not the work that's actually going to be the next thing that carries on, but they need that journey to get to the point where they go, this show didn't really work, but this idea was amazing. they met that person that's opened up the door to a collaboration and all that sort of stuff and that's that's why they're here
3: yeah yeah definitely definitely and you I don't know how to say this I'm trying to be polite No, go 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 go. um well no after what you just said I've got to be polite (laughs) Um, yeah but um you occupy a really interesting space in that you're not in the big four no um and you're not on the free fringe and so how would you, if some so yesterday I had a, a and this is in the nicest possible way, I had someone come in for a different podcast I'm working on and they did not know this venue existed. Okay. Now, if you were to describe what Sweets Venues is and where its position is in the Fringe to someone who doesn't know, how would you do that?
0: Um, I would always pitch us as being, if we're looking at the the structure, like Big Four, Free Fringe, I would say we are sort of in the top end of the mid-tier venues. The place that you would go after us, if, again, we're back to some sort of weird ladder ladder (laughs) value system that is not necessarily real in the first place anyway, because ultimately it's about shows and being in the right spaces that make sense to the shows. But you would the next step from us would be to go to one of the big four because you were looking for that size of room, you know, there's a, there's a limit to how many spaces I've got. There's a limit to how big the seating is. But we, we would often talk about being performer-led boutique venue. You know, I've got four rooms. We range from 24 up to 115, and that's the work we program. And that we, I want to have work that looks amazing in those rooms. I'm, I'm not ever going to program, you know, that some massive rock musical epic that needs loads of movers and massive sound systems and all those things because that's not what we do so the first thing I'd say to that company is oh you should go and look to these venues because they'll totally support you so yeah that's roughly what I would say we are yeah top of the mid-tier we're good at what we do very good at what we do, yeah. I like, I Find I like, more hyperbole. What, what,
3: what didn't get picked up on the mic there was your ego kicking in as you said that <laughs> yeah. second sentence going... <laughs> no, actually, yes, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> Let me edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, okay, so you talked a little bit there about what you don't put like put in here mm. for, for, for whatever reasons in terms of limited space or tech or whatever. Not that there's limited tech, I'm just saying... No, 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 but,
0: you, but our tech goes to a certain point yeah, and then there's other bit, spaces. You know, I have... My, my ceiling heights are 2.5 metres There you go, super exciting facts <laughs> uh, But that means I can't put in Big moving headlights Because they decapitate the audience Which mm. I've heard is not what you want at the end of the show Weird it Depends uh, if they're paid or not Once they're paid it's fine they Yeah, you know There's, there's going to be things that a show might need That we just simply can't provide That's okay, that's fine My job then actually is to turn around and be as helpful as I can mm. in that next step. of, I realise you're not coming to me. Here's some people that might be worth talking to. I hope you have a great fringe and we'll meet up. And maybe your next project is the scale that we work on. It's, it's daft not to be helpful.
3: Well, I guess there's, okay, there's two questions from the back mm. about then. Um, the first one is going to be like, what would you say is something you look for to program then based on the criteria of what you can't or don't program? Okay. And two, what made you pick, because this is, all your four venues are in a hotel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite unique for a Fringe venue in the sense that I don't know anyone else. I mean, I know the Three Sisters are technically a hotel. Yes. But yes. they're not done in the hotel, you know what I mean? They're done in the bar bit. So was there, what was the reasoning behind putting yours in a hotel? Um,
0: right, first question first, <laughs> second question second. What do I look for when I, what makes me say yes to a show that I'm programmed? What do I program? I've always conceived Sweet as being represented of the spirit of the fringe, so we, we want diversity. I have typically a bit of a theatre bent, so we programme more theatre than we programme of any other genre. What that can mean obviously can be wildly different, because it can be comedy theatre, it can be horror theatre, it can be any number of things. I programme a bit of music, I programme a bit of physical theatre, I programme some comedy. This year's probably our biggest comedy programme that we've ever had. I'm quite picky about comedy that I program, mainly because there's a lot of comedy-focused venues and they supply them very well and they look after people and that's important. I look for something that's a bit quirkier, a bit different. We've got a lot of character comedians. We've got a lot of surreal comedians. And again, we're coming back to that thing, gut feelings, stuff that just, I go, do you know what, I wanna work with that person and I'm gonna have a good time working with them. That means the world to me, actually. And then once you start with a good relationship, you're going to have a good fringe. Because everybody's working in the same direction. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really important. And because of the scale we operate on, we run Sweet Like a Family Business. I'm speaking to all the acts from day one. They all know me. We don't have an office. So I'm the person they can just come and find. So it's, it's a personal relationship that's really important to us. Yeah, that's that bit. Second question. Where were we at the mm-hmm. second question? So it's okay. My brain. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's morning. and <laughs> Halfway through the fringe. Where were we at the second question? Well,
3: was. I was, I was going to quickly say that I uh, I, I love it when promoters say how they run their venue, because obviously some people run it like you or like Bob or like uh, whoever, uh, Bob Blunderbuss, yeah, uh, yeah. run it like no, a I family. Know Bob. Bob's a good guy. He's a great guy. Um, uh, uh, you know, they run it like that. Uh, I know uh, I've had Karen Corrin on. Like I said, I've got um, Ryan at the Pleasants coming on later yeah. on today. And it, it's interesting to know how they see their operation rather than just I mean, when I did Just the Tonic last year, the thing that made a massive difference to my experience to it was it was when uh, someone pointed out to me that you know they've they've got staff there, not just you know you're not doing a free show where there's no one around. So I went in a day early and met everyone. Yeah, oh, that's a
0: great idea. Yeah,
3: and they I remember they were doing the induction and everyone was saying what they do, and I said, oh, I'm a comedian. They went, you're not going to be here for another day, and I was like, no, I am because we're working together for a month. Like it doesn't make any sense for me not to come and say hi. You know what I mean? Like I'm here a day early. All I'd be doing is sitting and picking my arm. In the, venue, in the flat, waiting for my show to yeah. start. Otherwise, and and it made a massive. And now this year they've come back, and I'm not there this year, obviously. But loads of them remembered me, and like it's which it's, is great. It, it feels nicer to come back every year. That yep. you feel like you're. Do you know what I mean? Be part of something. Exactly. Even if you're important. not there. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's hugely important. This is an incredibly brilliant, difficult, wonderful, horrible, stressful, month. chilled out month. <laughs> yeah. um, it will do everything to you. And for us, it's hugely important that people get on. Mm. There's there's no reason to not have a good time Mm. And that you feel supported And we've got a team that All our team are either They've either performed fringes before Or they've worked fringes before They work year round in theatre Which is a big deal to us They work in tech They work in all their fields As their jobs We don't really tend to take on anybody Who hasn't gotten either stage or actual working in a theatre experience mm. which is a big deal to us because we want to know that every act that walks in the door knows from the start someone's there who's been where they are and understands it and knows how frightening and brilliant it all is at the same time and can, can genuinely sit while, while it's a cup of tea moment and go yeah this time when and you can share the experience which is important
3: there was another thing I liked about Just The Tonic. I'm not plugging them in yours no too no. much, but Daryl used to perform. And it was really nice to be able... Oh, well he still does on and off, but it was just nice to have a performer be in charge of the yeah. venue you're in. Because yeah, it meant deal. that you... Yeah, um, well, from my perspective, anyway.
0: Well, yes, I think it's a big deal. I'm not saying that's how everything should be run. Of course oh, not, not everyone's got their own yeah, models. Yeah. For me, it's imperative that all of us here have been through that experience. It's why I still put my own shows on every year. And I still sometimes win, sometimes lose. Because, like I always say, if I ever find the actual answer to fringe, where this will work every time, well, I'm probably going to bottle that up. And I think we can all have a lovely holiday together. It'll be mm. good. Because uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just not how the fringe works. You know, some she she can be fickle. She can be fickle. She's
3: very fickle. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. What worked one year doesn't necessarily work the next, and um, vice versa. And it's, yeah, complicated, we're back to that she's, she's a massive, complicated beast to try and navigate And, and no point in trying to control that oh, no. experience You have to go with it And sometimes on your side and sometimes it's not Which is a tough thing to deal with
3: uh, I, think, I think a lot of, this is the thing uh, I'm a bit of a control freak I mean I'm aware of that, self-awareness um, But the, the problem I have is with a lot of comedians Who try and control stuff like the fringe You can control certain things of your career path, especially in this because you have autonomy over a lot of things. Absolutely. But when it comes to the fringe, I think I'm all for if you want to buy PR and I'm all for if you want to buy a marketing thing and an advert and all that kind of stuff. But you've got to remember that that is so a shot in the dark or or throwing shit at all. It's not a bad thing at all because it can pay off. Absolutely. But you cannot. I think I think a big thing that I learned, especially from talking to PRs and, and, and other people involved in marketing for this podcast, is you have to learn that they will never promise you that they can do anything. No. Because they can't. Like and if they do, they're lying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. They can what they can promise you is that they'll put their hours in and they mm. will make they will make do their very best to make those connections happen for you. Mm. To try and turn around and make any guarantee at all at this festival. Or indeed any festival, actually, let's be honest. Whatever the scale is, you can't say wherever we take our work, someone might not come and see it. (laughs) Or loads of people come and see it beyond our wildest expectations. Mm. And uh, expectations, we've got to manage those expectations. A big part of our role is, and and in that support, is to be honest and straight with performers uh, and audience, actually, because there's an audience expectation as well, which we've got to look after. It's a complicated position actually being a venue because you, you serve two masters. Mm. You, you serve your performers and you serve the audience because they've got to have a great experience. Otherwise, the, their experience with the performer will become negative. Um, typically, they don't get to speak to the performer after the show or before the show. Maybe they have, but it's unusual. Um, and so, you know, there's nothing worse is there than going into a venue, feeling a bit ignored, had bad service. You sit in a show that's 50, 60 minutes and the first 10 to 15 minutes of that show, you're still grumbling to yourself about how difficult it was to get a ticket. Have they engaged with the work? No. And then the worst thing happens. The door opens and the person standing outside, it's the person who's made them grumbly. So, uh, that's, that's the death of that show. The person could have done their best night and that person's not seen it. They've not seen that show. They've seen something through their own head. So it's a big deal to us to make sure that we are on top of all of that as far as is humanly possible. Make sure that performers are informed and understand and don't not promise the moon on a stick because that's ridiculous and that the audiences are on it Um, (laughs) and that the audiences are looked after so that the performer has the best opportunity to have a great gig. Whatever that is, whether that is comedy or theatre or anything, our job is to make sure that we've got an audience in that are, we all know the arm folded audience that can sometimes turn up saying entertain me and that's always a tough, tough room but ultimately our role there is to make sure that we've got a performer who's been given all their calls and they're all happy and they're ready and their text prepared and sounds working lights all work everybody's happy room's good and then the next job is to make sure the audience come in smooth easy happy and then the performer's going to have the best opportunity and that's it isn't it it's about making opportunities that's what the fringe is about but yeah, PRs can't promise that. And as you say, if they did promise... if they, any, I think anybody who promises something other than we will give you the best of us, our best service that we possibly can, well, then they're lying. If they start telling you, you will make this much money, you will have these many ticket sales, you will have these reviewers by name, or even saying, I guarantee you will get X amount of reviews, please stop talking. You can't say those things. And... That's exactly what leads a performer to going, oh my God, this was a terrible experience because they've been promised all of this stuff and why didn't it materialise?
3: That's really hard. In Buddhism, uh, they say that the biggest uh, pain in life comes from your uh, expectations not being, not being the same as the reality of the situation and uh, I'm slowly learning that's more and more true.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's hard. And God, there's nothing worse than a, a piece of work that you've programmed, you adore, you've seen it and it's not getting any traction and you're doing everything you can to try and get that audience in, and it's horrible. You're just sitting there going, oh, and you're sitting with that performer, and nobody's done anything wrong.
3: What's what's amazing to me is uh, you're one of the first venues to talk about that side of it, because uh, something I talk about quite a lot is the story that people take away from the show, Hmm. not the actual experience of the show itself, because everyone, that uh, memory will become distorted and changed and, and almost, Uh, Chinese whispered into it was good, it was bad, I'll go see them again. But the feeling they take away and the memory they take away is the story that they can have that is unique. So, uh, for example, I I had a gig in Derby and a woman came, uh, she was uh, bringing a guy on a uh, blind date and he didn't turn up and I gave her a refund because I said you shouldn't have to pay for a ticket if the guy didn't turn up especially for that kind of thing. And she emailed me like two days later and was like I didn't actually think you were going to give me a refund. Like, she was, like, surprised by it. And she sent me a thing through saying, oh, let me know when you're back. I'll definitely come and see you again. That's and lovely. I, and yeah, I, yeah, really good. Yeah, but I love the fact that she's going to go away with a story. She'll yep. remember the show was good because I remember she was very happy at the end anyway. But... I love the fact she's going to go away with that story. Exactly. That, and I was funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you guys put the effort in to make sure that the audience, before they've even sat down, have had a story of we were treated well, we were respected, we were given sort of, you know, a time from staff to, that knew what we were asking and knew how to answer it. Absolutely. It's, it's it's nice to know that you're working on that story as much as, hopefully, the I don't know the performers here that well, but
0: yeah. Yeah, because this is a shared experience. Mm. We're here to be part of the fringe. Performers are here to be part of the fringe. The audience are here to be part of the fringe. Mm. There's no them and us. There's all of us in it together. Yes. And we have to create that perfect, lovely moment that they all can have that together, that the show they've picked, I'm not saying everybody's going to like every show they pick. Of course they're not, mm-hmm. because people are people, and comedy is very personal. Theatre is very personal. You, We all read into things, because we all see things through our own lens. I totally get mm-hmm. that but you want to be in the position that, well, do you know what? I've had a great gig where I felt calm, comfortable, ready to go on stage. I've owned my space. I've pushed into that audience and they got the best of me. And that the audience have sat there and went, do you know what? I've had a nice experience coming in and I've enjoyed my time. And they are the people that are then going to talk and say, this guy was great. You must go and see her. You must do these things, you know, that, and that's what we all should be trying for. Cause word of mouth around here is so powerful. Mm. And that positive, positive vibes is, is a big deal. It really is.
3: It, it's uh, Whenever I talk to a journalist or a reviewer, I always ask them their opinion on whether their review starts word of mouth or whether they find the thing because of word of mouth mm. and are helping push it forward. And it's always interesting to find out which... I, 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 don't, I, I know because I've got messages from the podcast from people who think... A reviewer who thinks their review pushes word of mouth, they think that's arrogant. And I'm like... Is it though, because there are a portion, and I know it's a narrowing portion, of people who still read those reviews. Now, I don't, uh, my opinion on it is irrelevant on this because it's not about me, but I find it interesting when uh, the reviewer gets their chance to sort of, because how they discover shows is is massively interesting to me as a performer, but also I imagine for you, who helps push out and gets the PR for your shows to get in their head.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big deal. Reviewers, do you know what? They're people, that's actually the bottom line. They are just like any other member of audience. It's just they've got a pad and pen and they've got some stuff they want and they're willing to talk. And they have come to a point in their life where they think their life experience and their performance experience is strong enough that they think they can talk about it. And that's good, that's really positive. Um, But they are people, which means the the trick, it's not a trick. (laughs) Because like, if it's a trick then all relationships are a trick um, Don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> A lot of issues <laughs> it's, it's get to know them That's one of our jobs and It's a nice job because you end up speaking to nice people It's about going, do you know what I know so and so from X Likes this sort of work I'm not saying they're going to like the show But I know it's in their wheelhouse There's no point in me pushing a show on to someone That they don't review that sort of thing that's ridiculous. I've, and I've, I've had my own shows reviewed by reviewers who should never have been in the room. And that's gutting. Uh, I had a review for a show that I'd directed and co-created. And it was a multimedia piece. And the opening line of the review is, I've never liked multimedia shows. And you go, oh, well, thanks for coming to review the show that's clearly stated to be a multimedia show. I don't know where to even go from that moment. So, uh, unsurprisingly, bad review. So it's about, uh, but that that shows exactly the problem right there. But, that it's playing the system though, because yeah.
3: if you're if you're a multimedia review comedian, do your research into which reviewers do that or enjoy that, and just don't invite the other ones? And but but the downside to that to me is. I've seen, there's a guy, uh, I won't mention who it is, who keeps putting like from, it started like with like big things like the Scotsman and stuff, and it's got less, and like I see it on all of his big things, he keeps like, they're getting less and less in terms of uh, size of publication. right And all of them are five stars. And that has made me question the whole... Because I'm like, you can't be five stars to every publication. There's just no, no. way that every publication is loving what you're doing. Like, no, that's the, impossible. I know. And I, I want to ask you... I'm not going to do it during the fringe. That's not fair to a performer no, no. at all. No, no. I'll wait till afterwards. But I'm like... I don't know. How, have you just adjusted the show for each reviewer? Like, have you like made like a different ending to make sure each one loves it?
0: That would be amazing, wouldn't like, it? And that would,
3: that would be diligence <laughs> to get um. five stars. But I was like, I, I literally, I, I know I'm okay, but I was like, you can't be getting the, it's just No. It's like, it's like if I see a Chinese restaurant that has all five-star reviews on Yelp, I'm like,
0: someone must have hated you at some point. At some point. Cause, uh, and that's okay. Not in a bad way, yeah. But I'm just saying you yeah. can't. You, all, but, yeah. you shouldn't be able to please everybody all the time. Mm. Because that has to be impossible. Mm. Has to be. Someone's going to have to come out of that room going, Meh. Yeah.
3: They're my favourite. They're my favourite because they'll give you the best feedback.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's where you learn. Mm. Actually, it's we learn far more from our mistakes than we learn from our successes. Definitely. Absolutely.
3: The interesting thing you said a minute ago was you said you can't you, you can't guarantee audiences and you can't guarantee. All you can guarantee is you'll get the best from us. Yeah. When I spoke to Karen Corrin at the of Balloon. She said that she can pretty much guarantee a certain level of audience for her venue because it's so established, it's known in the sphere of comedy, and it's uh, it's not just a, a, a venue, it's got a pub and it's got an area for people to hang out in and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I assume you would never put some, uh, well, I, won't, I don't want to put words in your mm. mouth, but would you make a claim in the same area but for theatre then? Or would you, because you're more theatre-led, but, I mean, how... how what is the split then? Let's do it this way. What's the split for comedy to theatre view this year?
0: Oh gosh, um, we're probably looking at about thirty percent of our program is comedy, and we're probably looking at about fifty percent of it is theatre, and then the the rest sort of making up a bit of music, a bit of this, a bit of that. Right.
3: And if you if a performer were to approach you hmm. and say, "What? I mean, because the thing like the thing I hate about performers." is when they ask questions like, oh, what are the average ticket sales for your comedy shares? Well, it's like, yeah. well, if five sell out and 20 don't, you average it out, it's 20 seats of room or something, you know, that's that it. doesn't work. And also you don't know who worked harder, who didn't work harder, Yep, all that kind of stuff. But if you were to get asked something like that, and you and, and it wasn't, it, it's never that simple, but if you were to try and answer something like that, or a, or a critique of something like that, uh. what would you say? I mean, that's fair enough.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I would open with, Everybody can make numbers do whatever they want He says "Is a massive cautionary tale Uh, There are some venues that Will tell you certain figures Statistically, and I'm sure statistically They've found the source and the sample To make those correct But it doesn't tell you the whole story about a venue Of course it doesn't There has to be shows that fail And I'm sorry, that sounds awful Because it sounds really instantly negative And instantly reductive There has to be That's an awful turn of phrase But there will be shows that don't make it That are brilliant but never find their audience that could be through a bajillion factors because as a venue our responsibility is
1: how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment
0: To everybody simultaneously and very similar it's, it's a microcosm version of the Fringe Society itself it's an open access festival we are supposed to be equally responsible to all of the performers that come into our venue and promote and push and work as diligently and as hard as we possibly can for all of them at as relatively equal pace as you possibly can that's not always easy because sometimes you've got some shows who don't supply you Information You know you, you, you need hooks It's difficult to approach the press If you've got a show That doesn't tell you anything About what's, what makes them unique Their journey to get here Gives you the story To actually talk about you, you can't make it up But you asked If I was to actually Answer number questions
3: Well no But you don't mm. You don't have to answer With numbers If you don't want to
0: No No I, I guess I can, I can talk about A sell through rate For the venue So we typically See ourselves Selling at about 50% houses. Which means you've got some shows that have done Obviously very well You've got some shows that have not And you've got a lot of shows that are bubbling away At good numbers and that's Really good but we're back to exactly what you said You can have some days where Everything's Selling out and then another day Where something has a has a black Wednesday Or you know so We've got a couple of, Every year we find there's a show that has one day That just for some reason they can't shift it And I I couldn't tell you why. We've often found them to be a Tuesday, but then other people will tell you Wednesdays are their difficult day, so they take a Wednesday off and they're, as they've been at Fringe for a few years.
3: <sighs> it's an um, act of superstition type thing. Yeah, you, you have one year where Wednesdays didn't work and you so Wednesdays, Wednesdays are awful, work. Wednesdays yeah. are awful, and it's like, well, is it that? Or is it, like you said, the, the Fringe is a, a fickle mistress and just so happens that year it was that. Yeah. And you're taking off the day that actually loads of people would come. <laughs>
0: And yeah, and that's it I think trying to define Defining the fringe through statistics Is always going to be reductive Because it doesn't actually speak about the experience And it is something of a curate's egg Because everybody's going to describe something different That will make them look bigger And you know, we all want to look massively successful Nobody wants to just just be successful So you find the things you're really good at And you talk about all of those and I was gonna say I'm no different But obviously I've just sat said all that right now So obviously I am different I've got shows that succeed And they're really good And...
3: But is that success in terms of selling tickets Or is success in terms of something else They've set their target at?
0: And there's the best question So I've got shows that succeed because they get touring And that's what they wanted after this I've got shows that succeed in selling bums on seats Which to my mind should be the last thing That you come to Edinburgh Fringe for Because if you come focused on money you're going to have a difficult time. This is not, it's a pay to play festival. And that means you should be coming with a view of development of your work. I'm not saying you shouldn't come wanting to break even or make a little profit, of course not. That's, but that's the gravy to my mind. It's always been the gravy to my mind when I've when, as I do every year, put on a show. I personally, I put on my work because I want to develop it. I want to tighten it up. I want to make it really good. I want it to then tour afterwards. I want it to go around the country. Maybe abroad I want to have reviews I would like to have some industry I want, I want civil, constructed, critical feedback on my work Sometimes, unfortunately more often than the other I'm, I'm successful financially But a lot of people seem to put the burden of success on finance But back to, I think, some of the shows that I've had that didn't work I learned a hell of a lot about myself and my work and my actors learned a lot and we, we put together better shows out of the rubble of one that didn't fly the way we thought it would. So that to me is hugely successful. I don't know that sounds like a Pyrrhic victory but actually having a show that you go right, okay, the critical response was mediocre. Um, I had one a couple of, well, three or four years ago. It did okay. It did okay. You know, the reviews were average, it was hitting in the middle every time. A couple like really loved it, but most of them completely honestly came in hitting that mid-card review level. You go, okay, so there's something not working in this show that is not pushing it beyond that boundary. Cool, so you take it away and you learn from it. The, the work that comes after that was better because of it.
3: Do you find, so you've obviously been building your comedy uh, section of your mm. program over the last couple of years. Do you find the fact that you were historically theater based a hindrance on promoting comedy shows?
0: That's an excellent question. I it's my think <laughs> it's your job. You do it very well. Thank you. Um that's all. I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, no. i I'm, I'm I think that it I'm joking is <laughs> I don't think it's a hindrance. I think it it makes us really focused on what sort of comedy we want to look after. This year we've taken a couple of risks for us in comedy. We have got a little bit more of what would be considered a conventional stand-up. Not a lot, but a little. We're seeing how that goes. Do you mean, quote-unquote, mainstream? Or do you mean... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mainstream, microphone, um, let-me-tell-you-some-situational-things-that-have-happened-to-me-in-my-life-type stand-up comedy. I love it. It's just I don't typically program it. I'm I'm a bit of a... I've got Catholic tastes. You know, I'd like... I like to watch most things. It doesn't mean I love everything I watch, but I, but I'm willing to look at it. The comedy we therefore have programmed previously, like I said, it's and we and we continue to is a bit out there. It's it's off the beaten track. It's doing something different. I suppose there's therefore to me, if we're making it about me and my ego or about there we go. We've used ego a lot in this interview. About my tastes, which is it's not ego, it's taste. There's probably more theatre. To the comedy I book They are developing characters They're developing quite often Odd, weird narrative There is a journey they take you on So do I find it a hindrance Not as much as I would have expected Because yeah, we're not famous for comedy And I totally accept that We also say that to every comedian that has ever approached us That's important, we're back to honesty
3: Um, You should know that before they apply really Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely
0: And hence why I would say You know If you are looking for this, this, and this, you probably want to look at venues X, Y, Z. Well,
3: the the reason you're on is because you're expanding in comedy, but also the way you're expanding in comedy to me is quite interesting because I think a lot of pre fringe ones take on a lot of shows without seeing them, and that's not a bad thing or a good thing, but I'm saying that they select shows in a different way. And I know the big four, for example, select shows to a certain degree, they'll select Big names in order to yeah. get in audiences to a certain, in a certain time slot, and they'll often, sometimes charge them slightly less, but charge slightly more for the less bankable acts, and put them around those, hoping yes. that if they don't get the ticket. So, for me, it's interesting the way you're going with your programming because it feels different to the way that I know the big four and the free friends do it.
0: I suppose it is. I realise that some of the work that I'm programming is, and this is, I guess, this is this is a complicated theatre moment actually. So. Sort of, there's two terms for commercial in in the world of theatre. There's commercial for fringe and there's commercial for theatre and those mean very radically different things. And what is seen as commercial fringe is exactly what you're talking about with that you put in a big name that you know has got a draw and that sort of thing and therefore you as you say you embed other artists around that in the hope that they ultimately are inheriting some of that audience that has either not gotten in or is still feeling warmed up and want another gig. Yeah. Totally, I see that, makes sense. I'm approaching the comedy that I want to book. I want to book, there, and that's it. It's stuff that I think fits the venue, that we can therefore, but to the thing that we can look after and actually try and develop that work with them. That's a really big deal. We're, I'm not saying we're co-producing everybody's work because that's ridiculous because some of them have got their producers and they're, or they're self-produced, but we are there to be part of their production experience and our experience should be there to help them, so it does help when you can actually turn around and go, actually, do you know what, I know this, this reviewer who, they are typically theatre, yeah, sure, but this is the other thing they love, because you're in, you're, you're in the crossover space, so they'll come, and they do, and they get typically, you know, I'm not going to say it happens every time, they get good reviews, because we find the right people to connect them up to, and they were looking for that piece. And we're really lucky we, We've gotten a lot of people Who have decided to Move on from Free Fringe Because they were looking For something new They were looking for things That had a bit more Technical support A bit more staff support That they wanted looked after In a different way That Free Fringe Is absolutely brilliant For that entrance level And then for people Whose work actually Is fairly lo-fi They're not looking for you know They can go Right, you know what I can turn up in this space And I am Ultimately Even if everything fell over I could do I can do my set, and I know what I'm doing. Um, As soon as people are saying, oh, no, I need a light to come up at this point in my show, Free Fringe obviously gets a lot more complicated. Oh, yeah. A lot more complicated. Um, And I think, relatively speaking, most of the time, Free Fringe is fairly honest about that as well. And there we are. It's back to the ecosystem of the Fringe. So that work is no longer actually viable in those environments in the way that it would want to be. So we're a nice place to come to. We've always been very free-fringe-friendly in that sense. We always put shout-outs for people to bring their buckets because I love change. Change is great. And we've found, amazingly, people like notes. So, you know, we've always had good relationships and we, we run late-night cabarets and it's, it's the best way. You get to know folk. And maybe, maybe the following year they come to you or maybe three years later they come and they want to work with us and that's great. Or they actually end up never coming to work with us, but they knew that person and, uh, do you know, for me, a big thing is I've got a lot of artists here this year who have come because they knew someone who had been here and they wanted to be here and they'd heard good things. And then we spoke and then we do the thing and we find out that, yeah, this is a good fit and it's great. It's best. And back to that family business thing. And it's, it's really exciting. But we're back to work. I want to small P produce. It's, it's, a, it's a really weird relationship. Because we are a small team operating, as I say, a boutique venue, we get very involved. We're there to help a lot, very personal. And you've got to be passionate about the work that you're programming. And there's there's nothing on here that I don't want to watch. Sadly don't always get to watch everything Because unfortunately you've got to go and do the day job Which there's that old adage isn't it You're either at the fringe or in the fringe And it makes it so complicated to see the shows Which is heartbreaking when you've been working with someone For six months towards bringing that piece over And you realise that because the, the work ends up scheduled At that time when you always have to be at this thing You suddenly realise that you don't get to enjoy The actual live experience that you were really looking forward to That's really difficult in this job
3: Yeah I can imagine it it's been really frustrating.
0: Yeah, massively. Because you're just sitting there going, yep, I've been waiting six months to watch this show in my space. And, you know, they've, they've flown over from wherever. And you just sit there going, I'm never. The, the amount of times I've actually been in the queue, walking through the door, and then someone goes, this has just happened, could you come and help? And you go, yep. Of course, because that's the job. That's, your job. that's yeah. my job, and that was the day that you could see it. That was the only day because you had meetings the next one, and blah blah blah. And just uh, heartbroken. You just go, uh, and I was going, "Oh my god, it was the best." You're going, "I'm so happy," yeah. and then you are happy, but on a, a personal world. level, yeah, you're going, yeah. "Ah, I've seen nothing." Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. it's it's uh, interesting. In the um, well, we'll get to Brighton in a minute, but at the Brighton Fringe, I always do the uh, Carolina Brunswick. Yes, yeah. that's my favourite venue. Too oh, there. lovely venue! And uh, venue. Cliff is amazing. Cliff is great, yeah, and he is amazing at going to see pretty much the opening night of every show, yeah. especially as the fact he lives and works in London. Like the fact that he, you know, like schedules his trains ahead of time to come down and see stuff, it's uh, it's it's very uh, I've done Brighton three times now, and it's very reassuring each time to see to know there's one audience member in the room the first night, yeah, uh, absolutely. even if it is the guy who's seen you however many times,
0: absolutely. I mean, the good thing, I guess, is from the that From the personal frustration thing Okay, that sometimes I don't get to see the show That I've been so excited to see However, I know full well That either Annie Or Mill Or Sarah or Alex Or anybody else in our team Have managed to go and see it I know that it's not that Sweet hasn't gone to see the show It's just that I didn't make it into the yeah. show But there's no show that's on At the moment that hasn't been seen By at least one of us That works here, which is great and that's reassuring, really reassuring. Yeah, um, because also then that person come back and go, oh, mate, that was brilliant. And as much as I'm gutted, you go, ah, oh, good. Because also the team that I've got here, I've brought here because there's a good reason to have them here, mm-hmm. and I trust them. Mm-hmm. So when they're t- coming out going, I loved that, you go, good, because I trust your opinion, mm-hmm. and I'm not wrong, and I've totally gotten this right, and you're excited, and I'm, yeah, good. And you go, good, I'm glad they're here, and I'm glad we're pushing, and I'm glad we're all working to make this great thing happen. Because people love the show, and it's, it's the best feeling that's that you're totally buzzing after that, even though you've not as a, as a as the venue manager as the artistic director I've not managed to get to see it here, I at least know that I was right, and that my gut my this was, this is the right show to have, mm. and it's a great piece of work has worked out because the people that I, I love and trust most around me, which are my team are, are coming out loving it, and you're just yes, excellent win uh, <laughs>
3: definitely as as a nitty gritty thing we're going to mm. go through so just so that people who maybe want to apply to for the suites can get your end of what the application is like, because from our end, as before, if I represent all performers that might want to work, with my you, God, I know it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> a lot of pressure on my shoulders. But if I represent them for, for this purpose cool. of this conversation, when we email in to apply for the fringe, you might not hear back, you might not hear anything, you might not know what you did wrong, you might not know what just you know like little mistakes get made or or, just, yep. or anything like that, because obviously it's not humanly possible for you to get back to everyone. It's it's just, it's
0: just not. Sadly, not. No, which is that's fine. It, it gives you massive senses. Every, every religion's guilt suddenly <laughs> appears, manifests. Yeah, uh, but
3: I mean, I think most performers don't take it personally. I think a few do, and they're they're probably ones you probably want to work with anyway. But the the
0: arguably, um, arguably.
3: But um, if if we go through the process really quickly, and yeah. I'll and, I'm, and we'll audibly do it. So okay, uh, how would I apply?
0: Okay, so there's two ways for us. Uh, One is you can go via our website and there's one of those sort of fill-in drop-down menu type application forms That allows you to put in a whole bunch of info and you send that to me That will then pop through and then I'll get back in touch That's at its most basic if I'm being... Hundred percent honest. If you want a much better shout, do that because I need that piece of paper because that piece of paper is really super helpful. But send me an email alongside it. Send me
3: at the same time or a few days later. Or
0: I'm genuinely easy. It's, yeah. it's I get them where the, obviously yes, you get the hi there. I've just sent the application form. Here's some supporting material. You get one a couple of days later just to go hi, just to say. I put in the application a few days ago just touching base and all that stuff that will say all those things And then hopefully what actually will happen is they'll also be telling me the personal stuff about the show The, the forum is great and don't get me wrong There are shows that we book through just the form and nothing else in that sense But of course there is something else because I'll phone you and we'll chat and we'll talk Um... Sending sending emails is really good. Emails are lovely. Phoning me is amazing, and the the phone number that's on our website and on all those things is my phone. Right. You just you just get to phone me straight because I'm a big believer in that. I don't have a work phone. Um,
3: Maybe don't ring him during the fringe. Don't ring me during the fringe.
0: <laughs> Actually, no. Do ring me during the fringe. It's great. I've already booked a whole bunch of shows this fringe. Oh okay. Um, we are already. We've, yeah, I think we've booked about ten shows already for next year. Cool. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Sorry. Yes. Future. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 2017, Fringe. We've also had our first inquiry for 2018, which is mad. But do you know what? It's There's something about people who are getting ahead. And I, I, I'm I, not saying, oh, my God, you must start now. But people who are thinking about next year, we have people who come to the venue to have a walkabout, and they're, and they're totally open. You are the third venue I've come to look at today. That's great, because that's correct. Apply and look at everybody, because... Find the places that have got the right sizes of spaces for you and talk to them because their deal might be better for you than my deal is. That's totally fine. And I have no problem at all with that because it's about the right fit because it's your show, not mine. Yeah, you know, And it's about you feeling comfortable and confident. Um, but talk to me. That's genuinely the best way. Um, tell me about why you're excited about your show. Tell me why you want to be here. I'm always going to ask you that question. The why you want to be in Edinburgh is... Such a huge deal to us because the fastest route to a bad Edinburgh experience is not being honest about what you wanted from it. You've got to have some. I'm not saying you have to have every idea absolutely planned out because let's face it, some of the shows that are applying initially aren't finished. So there's things that they're trying to work out as they've gone along, um, and that's okay too. But by the time you arrive in August, have some game plan. It's got you've got have to have a target. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's gotta be a thing that you wanted from it. And that is genuinely okay to be 25 days of performing my show over and over again. I had a comedian here um, in this venue, I think it was our first year we were in this space. And all he wanted to do from the end of it was have a solid 10 to 20 sets. He was aiming for his 20, but if he was walking away with a 10 and a 15, he was over the moon. And that was him every day. He did a gig, he, wasn't on super late, but it was just he took the space to workshop for the month and then he would go down to the bar and he would sit in our bar two hours after every show, writing his notes, going over his show. And then the next day, the show was slightly different until by the end of his month. And he'd keep keep coming on to our sweet release the cabaret and he'd deliver a 10 minute spot that was different from the one the previous week. And it was fascinating to watch because it was actually watching a comedian crafting his 10 minutes that he was going to take back Let's say his goal was 20. I think he probably got to about a 15 spot with some decent material to work on from there on in but it was really fascinating for us because we got to support him through everything he wanted he'd taken our smallest room so it was really low financial risk and he didn't come here to make money he came here to have audience feedback and it was for us that was super exciting because you're just going yeah development amazing and he's gone away from this fringe with everything he wanted, the best. It was just, ticks. Yeah, he, yeah. He ticked every box he had. Mm. He was happy enough with his ticket count, but really it was about, got a couple of reviews. He took those, you know, and he was so diligent and he treated it like his job, which is always, ex- for us, it's always exciting.
3: Always have to treat this like your job. yeah. Even if it's it, not
0: your job yet, you treat it like it's your job. Because that's in theory what most of the people coming here want it to be in the end. I know that's why I came to the Fringe. I maybe didn't know it fully the first year I did it. Uh, it was university group and I was here and god if anything could go wrong it did. That was the world's worst effort of being at the Fringe. Oh my god. There's this amazing photo of me kissing the train station platform in Dundee having gotten home because it just all went wrong. And then I was here the next year and the next year and the next year. Uh, addict. <laughs> I,
3: I, I've, I've written a joke for my new show, which was about how if you don't learn from your mistakes, you go back to Edinburgh every year.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> oh God, are we all in love? Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some truth to it. I think if you, I think most people have a really good, first, well, you, well, you didn't, but I think most people have a really good first year, and then they're always looking to get that first year back, and it's a, it's a constant. There's, uh, but it's because you're you. Rose coloured it again. Yeah, yeah.
0: The, the halcyon fringe mm. that you've had, and it probably wasn't actually like that oh, when yeah. you were there. But I guess, I guess one decent fringe. If you then have a bad one, probably yeah. becomes magnified to being oh, yeah. the golden age. Yeah. yeah, I guess you know. I, I guess probably starting with your worst one was good for me yeah, because it focused me into what I wanted. And there, there it was, I learned actually from all the mistakes. There were mistakes that had been made for me because other people were involved in the booking and stuff had happened. And I was just sort of then at the end handed this plate of crap to deal with. We had a performer in the show run away in the middle of the night. And then we had to recast and rebuild the show. It really was everything wrong.
3: But like you said, it's as long as you learn from your mistakes.
0: I went into meetings uh, with the university group that I was with straight from that. I went. These are all things we will never do again. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, I'm about to just give you all some really good ideas that you're all going to have with me because if we do it this way every year, this is a horrible experience. You know, all you get, all it's just going to be a crapshoot for when it's good and when it's bad. Mm. Or we could really focus up and from there on in. And here I am now. You know, it was about being here to achieve something. And sometimes that was just to put on a piece of work for it to be good, for it to be viewed, and that was okay because university group. That's that was kind of the purpose, um, but for me, I was always looking for something more personal development wise. Mm. It's, it's one of the reasons I love friend You know, you've you've got all of the workshops that are provided by the society, which are amazing. The opportunities that this place presents, they're immense. I would not be doing what I do now if not for that first awful fringe. That's pretty cool. So actually, all of it, you know, owning a venue, now having venues in Brighton, and we're second biggest venue at Brighton Fringe and all of this sort of stuff that's come out of it if you if you ask me 15 years ago is that what you're going to be doing no of course it's not what I'm going to be doing dear god I'm doing a de- degree in English and that's where I, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor of English I'm going to be teaching at university I'm going to do all those things and I did a bunch of some of that and then realized it's not what I wanted because I've been doing this which is immense this fringe is so good
3: do you, do you scout for shows because it sounds because yes. you also do the Brighton Fringe. So, I presume, and you mentioned a horror fest that you're doing as well.
0: Yeah, we, we launched three different festivals in Brighton this year. Um, we did a, and we will continue to, um, an International Women's Week festival. Um, we've launched uh, Hove Grown, which is a new writing festival. We've got Horror Festival coming up in October. And we're doing a mini festival for International Men's Day, just because I thought it was important to balance out women's day and men's day and it also means that Richard Herring can be absolutely supported in his tweets every time November hits.
3: <laughs> Sorry I have, a, I, have a, I have a joke about um, disliking both days that's why I was smiling. That's fair about enough. Yeah yeah.
0: I'm quite looking forward to never having those festivals again. <laughs> I'd like to be in that place That's yeah. that's sort of the goal of them Actually yeah. its gets to the point Where you never have to have them
3: Yeah that, that's the point of my joke is, yeah.
0: that, is that I don't
3: I don't think we I, I hate International Women's Day Because I don't think They should need a day And yeah. it annoys me every year That you still need
0: a day That you still need it Yeah, yeah I and, completely and, and agree and that
3: you only get The same number of days a year As pancakes To me that's insulting It's ridiculous Yeah
0: And I completely agree I, At the very least we managed to make it out To seven to ten days Out of that one Which I suppose is Something Competing
3: with Shark Week So you're good Exactly That's good
0: <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I'm hoping to make those festivals redundant one day. That'd be lovely. That'd be the dream. That's the dream. That's, that's the dream. exactly what they're for. Mm. But and, and that is actually why we wanted to also reflect the International Men's Day thing, because it's a much more positive message, and it'd be quite nice to get to the end of needing those positive messages, yes. because it's just life. Yeah, That'd be nice. That'd be nice. I'd be a very big fan of that.
3: I, I don't know how long that's going to take, unfortunately. Probably
0: longer than we've got, yeah. but I'm happy to be part of that process.
3: Definitely, definitely. And I think it's a good thing that you're part of that process, because... I think I think the frustration I have I wanted to start a feminist podcast and I and I uh, and I just I know how I want to do it but I don't know how I'm going to name it and how it's going to work yet but it's about how feminism affects men because I feel like it would be an interesting subject to cover and it would be an interesting way of me looking at my own internal Mm -hmm. like not not sexism but your your cultural bias yeah yeah because we've all got is, it yeah I think it's a massive difference between being sexist and being culturally biased yes absolutely and I think also you're not ignorant if you say something ignorant you're ignorant if you keep saying something ignorant. that's it and I and I want to explore that side of me we're all works in progress yes absolutely um and so I want to work on a podcast in that area because I feel like I, I keep whenever I describe myself as a feminist I say I'm a white feminist like I don't I don't fully understand other cultures Experiences of, femi- of feminism mm-hmm, At mm-hmm. All. I barely understand My white female friends ones But at least I've spoken to them About it more than other cultures Yeah I understand not, what you mean It's that's not me avoiding it Or It's just I haven't done that yet And I don't know if I'll have time To do that yet In my lifetime
0: Yeah Do you know what I mean Yeah um, We can't live everybody else's Experience in our own life Exactly It's impossible But I'd the love to know more it The best we can do is it. try and Make as much of a Positive movement towards that As we can with yeah. our lives
3: Yeah And sadly Part of the reason why I wanted to start it Is because I've met and they'll remain nameless. I've met a lot of people who do not take women as seriously as they should do because they have internal, even misogyny or sexism yep. or cultural yep. bias or whatever it is. And as a result, as a man, they will take my side of that more seriously. For worse, and I completely yep. agree with that That not being a good thing. No, no, no. But I think it's a good thing that if I get my voice into the conversation, they might listen to the Absolutely. other voices eventually. Yeah, you that's know? all you can hope for.
0: Yeah, It is all you can hope for, is to just keep saying... Talking about the stuff that should be getting talked about. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I still absolutely. need to look at how I'm going to do that because I don't want to get my hand bitten off by that. Yeah.
0: But it's tricky.
3: I think it's worth getting involved it if is. I can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like I'm entering it again for the why. I feel like I'm entering it for the right why, not just because it's a good conversation that's there absolutely you know but it's uh, but I like the fact that you've got involved in that as well because I uh, uh, it's easy for a promoter I think to take a step back and and um, avoid uh, uh, the, there was that quote I think with the BBC a little while ago that everyone had a go at him for and for better or for worse at least he was
0: trying to do some trying to do something yes his execution might not have been the best no but but there's a there's a baseline principle yes that's positive oh yeah whether the final result is that's up for debate but Yeah, but it's a conversation that should be happening and should be being moved forward properly and fully and as much as we possibly can.
3: But you can, the thing is, is that depending on your agenda and your history and your own Perceptions of it, you can take a positive thing someone's working on and twist it to be negative. Oh yeah, very easily. Yeah, it's not I complicated mean, to do that, is it? Yeah, when you when you hear oh, there's a quota for women. If you're a man, you can. I mean, I heard one male comedian once say, oh, it means I'm I'm, the, I'm less likely to get on a panel show, and I was like, there's only one less seat for you. Yeah, like if if you weren't going to get the first five seats, you weren't you getting weren't the getting sixth. On the panel. Seat, you know yeah, what I mean? Like it. in the nicest, less arrogant way possible, the fact you think that sixth seat was waiting for you is a fucking ridiculous thing yeah. to say. And there's the eagle right Yeah, exactly, right there. exactly, yeah. and it annoyed the shit out of me because I was like I don't want to talk to you right now cuz you're not thinking about the bigger picture no. you're thinking about your own career and your narrow-minded ego's taken over absolutely and and uh, but, but again like we we're saying it's it's a case of the wine it's a case of and I think that's a good thing but let's talk about the hmm. the non the non-contentious one the what? the writing one and the horror one yeah what was the what, the writing one i assume, then, is theater based
0: uh is actually a bit of everything it's theater okay. and comedy in it it was it was to just create a a space in the sort of in the mainly coming from the Hove area just obviously because it's Brighton and Hove but it was to create a space of local work out with Brighton Fringe partly because not everybody wants to be involved in Brighton Fringe also to create a sort of space where people could knock the edges off a work in progress Mm. that it would be ready when it went into Brighton Fringe because I think actually you should be putting up finished work when you arrive at that fringe just as you do here because there's industry and there's reviewers and the the future of your career is sitting there turning up with something that isn't quite ready even when we do put work in progress in brackets afterwards i don't know if we're putting our best front face forward there it's you're like Ugh. no we should probably be turning up to these things with the work that is going to tighten up yeah but actually i'm happy to put on in a, in a touring sense so we wanted to create a better space for that so local groups that were perhaps not ready for the next step and work that is Looking to just as say knock the edges off so that they're going yeah, it's it's maybe not finished but it's fighting fit. Mm. It's, it's ready for that. Definitely. And the horror fest. Horror festival is to just create a new space for doing something a bit spooky, a bit dark. There's stuff for kids because we're hitting the October half term. There's stuff for grown-ups. There's um, we've got escape rooms. We've got serious theatre. We've got kids. Gross science. We've got everything from it because it's a fun place to be in the dark sometimes, and that that allows you to explore a whole gamut. Been involved with the I put shows on at the London Horror Festival before. I felt I was a bit of a mixed bag. I wanted to do something in that field. I, I personally work a lot in horror theatre myself, so I thought, well, why not? Let's do something fun. It's fun. Let's yeah. just have some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. We've got two quick questions and then the quick fire ones. So.
3: One of the questions was going to be because you don't you don't do free fringe and you don't do pay what you want.
0: I do do pay what you want. Oh,
3: you do pay what you want.
0: I've done pay what you want for the last couple of years. Okay, if my I'd realised I could have gotten column inches out of that, I would have talked about it ages ago. I okay. Well,
3: well, okay. What do you mean by column inches
0: and what do you mean by? Uh, well, this a year a few venues obviously spectacularly announced that they were doing pay what I'll, you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I was sort of sitting going, yeah, I've been doing that a while.
3: What? I think it was more they took a venue off. Yeah. Of the Yeah. Well, there was that. Yeah. So yeah. if you do that next year. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. Right. I'll, I'll just get go you on loads the hunt. of press. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, PBH is just stepping down, so you can you can always I'll, nick one of his venues. I'll be all right. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we do do pay what you want, and we do standard ticketed. The pay what you want model we use is quite similar to Bob's actually, with that five pound, six pound guarantee a seat, mm. or pay what you want when you leave. I think it's a nice model. I'll be honest my cards and table, I prefer that model to free because I think it talks to the audiences about you should pay the artist for their work and I think that's actually quite important. You're working, you're doing a job and you should get paid for your work.
3: Right, I used to, well I still do, I love free content and I think building a relationship with someone the starting point for that especially in an age mm-hmm. of social media is free content however i think once you've started a relationship with something or you've st- or you've got a product which is essentially what a finished show is yeah that's when you can start to say yeah some people can come in for free if they're still not sure some people can that's pay it. up front and that's cool
0: and, and that's exactly how i feel about it
3: yeah it's why if i if well next year hopefully i'm going to do a show and i'm going to do that free fringe for it for that year and then I'm hoping to also bring back my other show, but do it as a pay what you want model. Yep. Because it's a product now. It's on on tour, yeah. it's it's done a it's ready fringe to, run, it's ready to be in a stage yep. where I need it to have ticket sales. But also if people want to come in and take a punt, they should be allowed to. Absolutely. Yeah, especially at the fringe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. On tour
3: it's different, but on the fringe it's a yeah. whole.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely fine.
3: Right. So these are the last quick fire questions. Okay. They're quick for me. Take as long as you want. Although uh, we have only got three hundred seconds because it's just said ten minutes on there. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. What is the best book on comedy writing or stand-up you've ever read?
0: Best book on comedy writing or stand-up I've ever read? i got to be honest, that's not something I've... I think we're going to have to say no to that one. Sorry. Cut.
3: What is the best show you've ever seen? And it is deliberately ambiguous,
0: that question. Wow, that's an incredibly difficult question. I remember watching a piece of Australian burlesque in like 2005, which absolutely blew me away because it had narrative and emotion and storytelling and it wasn't just tits and teeth and glitter, uh, which is, you know, glamour burlesque's great, but this thing made me cry in places because it had really heartbreaking moments. I've seen some great pieces of theatre. I, I, I don't have a fully formed answer for the best thing I've ever seen because unfor- unfortunately, fortunately, I've I've seen So much. and It's a bit like, what's your favourite song? Um, Depends on the day, depends on my mood. There'll be points where I remember that show and go, oh my God, this thing is in my brain and I can't get rid of it because it was amazing. But then the next day I might be somewhere else in my emotions and that that work doesn't speak to me in the same way. Yeah, really tricky. I don't have a full answer. Oh, sorry,
3: fail. That's <laughs> yes, yes, fair enough, fair enough. And to answer your question, Modest Mouse Belushi right now. Uh, ah, yeah. good. It's, good. Uh, I, 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 I believe the show starts before you've started. I believe it's when they're walking in and I've been trying to find the right song for yep, people I when agree. they walk in. And that's my song for the next show. Because that's it's good. it's just on the teacher of making people feel uncomfortable that I like. Like it. Yeah. Like Uh, it so I've been listening to it over and over again to make sure it doesn't annoy me.
0: I've got songs like that, yeah, that for shows especially where I've been sitting working on work and Mm. I'm and I'm sitting there going right, and and I've got a song on loop for hours, and if I'm still loving it at the end of it, I'm right.
3: Well, my my favorite thing about that song is the last line is "Who would want to be? Who would want to be that asshole?" And then I'm going to have "And welcome to the stage, Simon Kane," (laughs) which I really like as a start to a show. Love it, Um, love it, yeah. Uh, What is the biggest mistake you've ever made And how did you overcome it?
0: Wow, biggest mistake I ever made And how did I overcome it? Oof Probably the biggest mistake I've ever made Is, yeah, putting on a piece of work That wasn't ready, actually From a uh, purely personal perspective Putting on a piece of work that had I'd been workmanlike in my direction And not finessed it at all And I watched it And, you know, it did okay? Actually, which is probably the bit that depressed me most I did fine, but I knew I'd done a better show So how did I correct it? I don't ever do that again I don't say yes as often to directing gigs Or commit to those in the same way that I used to Because I realised that I was burning the candle at both ends too much And something was giving And it was the quality of my work And I didn't want that anymore So I learned to say no a little bit Not too much Because I, I am a very much a yes person Let's make theatre Let's make work Let's make art But... A realisation that I can't keep pushing myself to do everything at once. That's so I guess boiling it all the way down, the biggest mistake I ever made was overstretching myself artistically and business wise. And the thing that gave was my art and I don't want that. So I'm a lot more picky now. I'd spend more time. Um, my new shows that I've been working on I've been working on for the last couple of years, they're not ready yet. I'm not rushing at them. When they're ready, I'll put them on. And then I'll take my licks if the reviewers don't like them, that's fine. But at least I'll know I finished the job that I was doing. That would be good. Who is the most underrated person in the industry? Most underrated person in the industry?
3: I can narrow it down to Edinburgh if that helps, but in the Um, industry in general, I figured it would be fine for you.
0: If we're accepting the conceits of my personal bias, because I work with him and I think he's amazing, I would have to say Thomas Ford. Why? Um, I think he delivers an immense amount of clever work. Um, He's Australian-based and... He's musically very gifted, he's very funny, he does incredibly clever things that sometimes look very silly. And I think it's quite easy to miss how clever what he does is under that layer of cheese and glam and flash that is part of the act. And every time I watch him, I'm just blown away.
3: Cool. Uh, What is the biggest problem in the, normally I say comedy industry, but if I say at the Edinburgh Fringe, and how would you go about solving
0: it? Oh, risky questions. Um, it's one of my favourites Yeah. Okay. The biggest problem is the biggest problem we face as a fringe is probably scale. And um, scale is massive. And it is very, it's becoming, it becomes increasingly difficult to guide reviewers, industry, audience to great pieces of work. And that is tough. And there is a mark of success, yes, to a fringe being big. That's. Uh, yeah I understand that but I think actually it's about delivering the quality experience of that fringe to everybody and I think whilst obviously newspapers want to go as they have this year oh my god the fringe is a couple of hundred shows less than it was last year the world is ending no it's not it's actually fine it's okay it's okay to be a wee bit smaller it's never going to be tiny it's always going to be big but there's nothing wrong with it having a little bit of shrinkage because the work that's therefore turning up is probably the work that needed to turn up and that's what we should be delivering is good quality thought through whatever it's here for is why it's here work not work that's turning up just because it should be in the edinburgh fringe yeah i think that's that's the risk and that's how we should fix it which is all of us need to fix that together that's that's no one person's job that's performers audience venues fringe society the press the promoters We need to think about the work we bring and the work we're trying to put out there, that it's it's ready, it's good, and it's exciting. And all those things mean, all the different things they obviously mean. And that's great, because it's still a fringe. And it will be ludicrous and serious and heartbreaking and people wandering about going, what did I just see? But they saw something that meant something and it was worth it. That's what we should be paying attention to.
3: The last question is always a two-parter. So it's, what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And what bit of advice would you give to a performer who has let's say never been to the fringe before and someone who is returning to who might want to come to the sweets venue for the first time?
0: Um, Best piece of advice I've ever been given is probably less advice and more just of a sort of adage, which is life happens. and, And it's a thing I've always believed, but a good friend of mine was talking about that and we were talking about there's things in this place that you can't alter because life sometimes happens and you've got to go with that and that's okay. There's good things and bad things that come with that statement. So if your show isn't ready or isn't working, that isn't the end. That's just this bit of the journey. And I don't want that to sound like I'm being too fudgy, but actually it's okay. It's okay for things to go wrong and it's okay for things to go right. They're sort of almost equal in value of that, that experience. And it's all right that life happened. And that also means you shouldn't have any FOMO or anything like that, because just get on with it, enjoy it, make the best of this that you can. Next year, you'll do some different stuff. It's okay. That's great. Enjoy it. Just go with it. Advice I'd give to a new performer, you've never done the fringe before, my advice would be listen to everything that you can, find out as much information as you can about what you're doing and then apply all of that to what you want from what you're doing. Don't take all of that advice as being absolutely sacred and, you know, immutable. And work with the people around you. You know, if you're going whatever venue model you go with, Whoever you're gonna end up beside, they're all in the same boat as you. So work with them, make them your friends. You can have new best friends here without much problem. It's great, enjoy it. If you've been here before, eat a banana, look after yourself. Um, That advice goes for the newbies as well, but actually the longer you do this, the more you need to pay attention to looking after you. Drink water, eat properly, do all those things. Don't be afraid that some nights you go to bed early. It's okay because the next night you can be out late. That's not a problem because that's the best way to present yourself. You want these opportunities? Nobody's going to give the opportunity to the person who's standing there smelling like the last week and bedraggled and ill-focused and slurring their way through it because they've had a rough one. Focus on what you want to do.
3: Well, thank you very much for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me.
3: That was JD. I want to give him a personal big thank you for not only taking part in the project, but also lending me a venue space before his show started every day this year during the Edinburgh Festival, so I had a quiet, comfortable and central location to bring my guests. Sincerely, I can't thank him enough. It was humbling how supportive he was from the off, given that he'd never heard an episode at the time, and he had never met me before. He was just more than up for supporting a grassroots project that supports the arts as well as the comedy industry itself. So... Thank you very much JD and the entire team at Sweets. You guys are amazing and I can't recommend more highly working with them in the future if you're thinking about it. As you heard, JD is a people person and generally a very giving and friendly guy. He's a breath of fresh air for me as I'd had nothing to do with the Sweets until 2016. And to discover a comedy fan who was just trying to improve the scene in their own way and own style is really exciting. I really love what he's doing and the grass market venue is something totally different to most of the other venues you'll see or visit in August as it's in a really beautiful hotel and adds a nice twist in terms of a performance space that's just different which is something that I always look for at the Fringe, I just want new and different things to consume when I'm there that I can't just get where I am all the year long I'm not sure how much I can say on this but I'm actually going to be working with him on a fun project during the Fringe this year so stay up to date with that by joining the Facebook group which is called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, of course. If you enjoyed this one, you might also enjoy the fact that I have a podcast coming out from Ryan at the Pleasance, which will be out, I hope, in the next month or so. I also have interviews from other venue managers that I've done previous to this one. If you go back through the podcast, ...that you can find people like Alex Petty from Laughing Horse... ...Bob Slayer from Heroes... ...Karen Corrin from The Gilded Balloon... ...just have a little scroll back, you should be able to find them all... ...and if not, there's a list of all the venue managers on my website... ...which is simonkane.co.uk, ...and you can find it there. Also, while you're there, you could consider giving a donation if you want to. You could do that via PayPal... ...or you can do it by becoming a patron, ...which gives me a budget for the future of the show... ...but for now... Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing. And thank you very much for donating if you do. And I'll see you all in about 15 days' time.
1: Bye! Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.